My name is Ryan Miner. I am your host of a Minor Detail Radio podcast, where the minor details of every story matter. Each week, I talk to Maryland newsmakers, from elected officials, journalists, political candidates, to policy wonks and everyday Marylanders. A Minor Detail podcast is the fusion between Maryland news and politics. Real people, real stories, honest conversation. You can also follow us on the web at aminordetail.com. Sit back, relax, and have fun. All right, everybody. Welcome to a minor detail. It is not so hot today because of the rain. However, it was sweltering in Baltimore City and Baltimore County schools, and somebody is to blame, but I'm not sure it's who we think it is. And we're going to talk about it tonight. Most importantly, we're going to talk about kids being able to go to school comfortably in an environment where, hey, they can learn. Imagine that. Maryland has some of the very best public schools in the entire country and when kids are distracted you know what happens not only do they not learn do they get the education that they need teachers get pissed off and then it's filtered down to us parents who get pissed off and then then that's when we start knocking on doors of state legislators state senators maybe the governor's office although he has some some tough security around the governor's mansion but nonetheless welcome everybody to a minor detail radio podcast. My name is Ryan Miner. I'm on the web at aminordetail.com, and I'm here every Sunday night, God willing, at 9 o'clock p.m. Tonight I have the distinct privilege and pleasure to welcome my friends Len Foxwell and Valerie Rodmonsky. Valerie, am I saying your name correctly? Radomsky. Radomsky. I knew I was going to foul that up. Okay. <laughs> Lynn Foxwell and Valerie both are employed by the Maryland Comptroller's Office. But aside from that, they have a tremendous perspective on what's happening in Baltimore City schools. And I'm excited to talk to them tonight because this issue has reached a fever pitch. And I'm going to try to use as many heat-related puns as possible throughout this show. Um <laughs> Len Foxwell, I appreciate you doing this. This is a conversation that we desperately need to have because it's about education. It's making sure that our kids are well taken care of in our public schools. That's the bottom line, right, Lynn? I mean, that's why that's what we do. That's that's why we care so much about our state budget. That's why we make sure that they all of our schools are adequately funded, that there is no achievement gap. It's about getting the, the students the education that they deserve without any distractions, free from distraction. Wouldn't you agree, Lynn? Ryan, I couldn't agree more. And once again, my friend, it's a privilege to be back with you this evening on a minor detail. And I'm particularly honored this evening to be accompanied on the show by none other than Valerie Radomsky, who has been such an indispensable member of the Comptroller's Office now for three years and counting, and who just last week, it was announced, will be joining Governor Hogan's administration as the first director of his newly minted Office of Accountability. Uh, you know, the state of Maryland puts over $6 billion each year 
into the school systems in all 23 counties and in Baltimore City. And I, I believe that certainly the governor can speak to it, speak to his priorities more effectively than I can, but he has really made accountability, transparency, and fiscal oversight for real results, a, a primary hallmark of his, uh, of his education platform. And Valerie being at the head of this, a former, former school teacher in her own right, in Baltimore County for many years, who knows as much about the inner workings of Maryland's public school system and that of Baltimore County as anybody I've ever met. She is going to be looking out for the taxpayers, and more importantly, she's going to be looking out for the children and families of, um, uh, of, uh, of, of all 23 jurisdictions and Baltimore City. So, Valerie, it's a privilege to have you on this evening, and it's a privilege to have you as a member of our team for just a couple more days before you uh, go up to the big office. Thank you. It's a privilege to be here. Well, Valerie, Ryan, Ryan, go, go Ryan, ahead, Lynn. You're absolutely you're absolutely right. I mean, your, 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 your preview said it all. Peter feels that this is this air conditioning issue. We shouldn't even be here. We, this, this, no. this shouldn't even be a, a point of discussion and debate. Ryan, it's the, this is the year 2018. Maryland is the wealthiest state and the wealthiest country on the face of the earth. And every child, every teacher, is it has, has an inalienable right to safe and healthy classrooms, comfortable working spaces that are conducive to learning. 22 out of the 24 jurisdictions in this state recognize that moral and academic imperative. They've done what has to be done to equip their classrooms with air conditioning. There are two that have not. Baltimore City, Baltimore County. To be fair to both, Progress has been made, but as we saw this past week, when 44,000 students from 84 public schools, 84, basically missed the first week of classes because their buildings were on air conditioned, that's a national embarrassment to the state, and it is a profound, deeply disturbing, inexcusable insult to the kids, the teachers, and the taxpayers of this state who expect something far more in exchange for their investment. And and Lynn, Valerie and Lynn, I have to tell you, as a parent, you know, I, Valerie, I don't know if you have any children, um, and yeah. but Lynn, I know that you have um, a couple of children. You have two kids, right, Lynn? I do. Uh, Colleen okay. is a freshman at Easton High School, and Darren's a sixth grader at Easton Middle. Both are Amen. Two, two, two of the finest public schools in the state of Maryland. Our children, uh, is a, we have a sixth grader at Robert Frost uh, Middle School, and then we just experienced our first high school <laughs> back-to-school night where we met our son Josh's teachers at Wooten High School, which we are so incredibly proud of that we will be Wooten parents, and we plan to be involved. And, yes, we might be a little bit of a helicopter parent, but we are so interested. Mm-hmm. Look, the public school system is our bread and butter for the next seven years. And I told Kim this. I mean, we live and die by – our kids' school schedules, because we know that they are the future of this country. Our children deserve the best possible public education free from distraction. However, the kids, you know, look, they're probably thinking, all right, we got a day off of a school. But the teachers who spend months preparing for this first day, for this first week, I want to point this out, that the, these teachers put everything on the line. They are the unsung heroes in the state of Maryland, in every state, really, 
And I have so much incredible respect for our teachers who, you know, they, they go into this job knowing that they're not going to get wealthy, but they inspire so many different kids. And my hat is off to the teachers who spent this past week in Maryland's first, first day back to school on Tuesday. And while the, ch- while the kids are thinking in Baltimore City and Baltimore County, you know, okay, we're going to get off school it's just it is it's a slight. It is an insult and it is embarrassment, as Maryland Comptroller's Peter Francho said on C four. And I'm looking at this situation and you know what is so typical of today, Lynn and Valerie, is that everybody wants to point fingers. They want to say you're responsible. Oh, the governor's responsible, no, the controller's responsible, and then things blew up. And got pretty hot at the Board of Public Works when this was discussed. And everybody in Annapolis, all the Democratic legislators are saying, oh, Hogan's to blame. You know why? Because it's an election year, and it's convenient. And it's convenient for Governor Hogan's opponent to go stand out in front of a Prince George's County public school system and point his finger and say, oh, this is this is who is to blame, and this is why you're, you know, this is why this politician is irresponsible. Meanwhile, parents alike all around the state of Maryland, we don't give a crap who is to blame. We just want it fixed, and we don't really want to hear politicians bicker back and forth about the problem. We just we want the situation fixed. We got the money, so Lynn, I want you to, and Valerie. Let's start from the very beginning, down this issue, and tonight we're going to do something different. We're not going to play politics, as we always do, and Lynn knows this best, and Valerie, you, if you have listened to a minor detail, you know mm-hmm. my style. I'm going to break down the facts, and we're going to talk about the issues without any BS, and we're not going to play partisan politics, because there's nothing more than I, I can't stand anything more than playing partisan politics with education, and Lynn, I think you would agree with that. I can't stand. Couldn't agree with you more. It's insulting. Mm-hmm. It's just insulting to teachers, to principals, to anybody who's ever worked for a public school system, and anybody who's ever entrusted their children inside of a public school system for eight or nine hours a day. We know that politics is the last thing that we should be discussing, and of course, it's convenient. It's an election year. Just remember that. It's an election year. Everybody wants to point fingers and use this as a political wedge issue without having a lot of the facts. And Maryland Comptroller Peter Francho said it best when he went on to C4. He said it best. Ben Jealous has been fed a lot of bad information. He said he likes him. He thinks he's a great guy. But, you know, maybe – Maybe we should be taking a look at the House Appropriations Chair. Maybe we should be taking a look at the Senate Budget and Taxation Chair. Maybe we should be taking a look at the, at the Beer Brothers. And I don't mean that pejoratively, and I, I say that in jest, but why isn't Senate President Mike Miller or Speaker of Maryland's House of, Rep, or House of Delegates, Mike Bush, where are these guys at? Are they just wanting to play more politics is this that same old swamp, Lynn, that we've come to know that is Annapolis? Well, Brian, you're on to something. You know, let, me take you back, let me take you back a few years. First of all, Peter has been on this issue now since the summer of 2011 when uh, in June of that year, uh, just, just like we saw this past week, 
several schools from Baltimore City and Baltimore County were, were dismissed because of their respective heat policies. And at that point, as a member of the Board of Public Works, which oversees, for the benefit of your listeners, the state public school construction program, because we they ultimately provide the final vote uh, that allows the capital improvement program to be, um, to be put into law. Uh, he sent a letter to the superintendents of Baltimore County and Baltimore City Schools, who at the time were Joe Hairston and a gentleman named Andre right. Alonzo, saying, you know, what are we doing? You guys get tens of millions of dollars every year. And if you, and if we, if you don't have the money to put into, you know, expensive, you know, central air conditioning units, well, my goodness, let's at least put some window units in as a, as a stopgap measure. It may not be the perfect solution, but it might be the best one we have right now. And uh, at least it'll allow those kids to go to school and get the education they deserve without, uh, without getting sick, without fainting in class, uh, without becoming uh, overheated and distracted, because we were getting those reports, Ryan. And we were essentially told to go jump in a lake. And, 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 this, and this battle went on and on for years. Now, bear in mind, Ryan, two school systems in this state uh, most notably, Anne Arundel County has actually installed box units, and it's yeah. in those classrooms that don't have uh, fully installed central air conditioning systems. It's a stopgap measure. It's not a long-term solution, but you know what? The systems work. They're cheap, they're dependable, and they keep the students and the teachers cool. And at the end of the day, that's what matters. And, and, uh, and so fast forward a few years, we get Governor Hogan in because the previous governor just didn't spend a lot of time listening to the comptroller on this issue. Governor Probably Hogan clash. comes in. And he, yeah, but it, got, it got into politics, and you remember the politics of that age. Oh, uh, governor Hogan comes in and says, Peter, we're going to do right by those kids. I sat in the meeting between the governor and the comptroller, and the governor said, we're going to do right by these kids. It's not a Republican value. It's not a Democratic value. This is just, this is just basic you know, human values. And mm-hmm. so he directed his Department of General Services to do a suit-to-nuts analysis of every, of every classroom in every school in Baltimore County and Baltimore City that didn't have air conditioning. At the time, it was one, and Valerie, correct me if I'm wrong on this, it was 1,561 classrooms that didn't have cooling. They asked them, DGS did a top-to-bottom analysis, and DGS is the agency of state government that basically supervises all the buildings and grounds. So they're kind of the uh, they're kind of our landlord for uh, you know for all state agencies. They 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 came to a conclusion that you could do every you put cooling units in every classroom in the state, every classroom in the city and the county uh, for just about ninety-seven hundred dollars a classroom. Man, that's, I wanna... that's 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 the that's the wiring, uh, that's the that's the units themselves. You know the infrastructure upgrades, start to finish, turn them on, cold air blowing, ninety seven hundred dollars per classroom, which came out to a bill of just ten point seven million dollars for Baltimore County, and just over four million for Baltimore City. Now, Ryan, put that in context. In, in the past, since 2010, so going on nine years now, Baltimore County has received over $530 million from the state of Maryland through the Capital Improvement Program, as well as some other special dedicated purpose funds. 
So you're telling me out of $531 million, they couldn't have spared $10 million to put air conditioning units into their schools and keep those kids and teachers healthy and safe. Len, I want to interrupt just a, just a moment. I have a special guest who's calling in. Brian Sears of the Daily Records wants to talk a little bit. I invited him in because he's done some excellent reporting on this issue. Brian, now welcome. You're icon. <laughs> yes, Brian Sears is a he is a Maryland pol- icon, not only in political Legend. circles, but one of the best daggone journalists, if there ever is one. And Brian Sears, you've been on the show before. Welcome back. You've covered this issue extensively. So can you break down the issue? Lynn was talking about it earlier, but what's your take on it? What are what are you hearing and Maybe can you highlight some of the issues that you brought up in uh, some of your reports in this last week? Well, thank, first of all, thanks for having me on. And, and you're right. I feel like I've done I've done stories on air conditioning for for years and years now, going back to when I used to cover uh, when I used to cover Baltimore County when Jim Smith was county executive. And and while we have uh, slowly reduced the number of schools in Baltimore County that are without air conditioning, uh, the, the story has almost become a perennial. Hmm. So uh, yeah, I, I am, you still with us, Brian? I am. Okay. So let's start from the beginning and, and Lynn broke it down and Valerie, I want to bring you in here. So tell me about what this meeting was all about this past week what was the hullabaloo the hubbub over this board of public works meeting and it looks like the governor had something to say the controller had something to say our state treasurer nancy cop had a little bit of something to say what what was the issue here i feel like the controller is absolutely fed up with it he's been there at the board of public works talking about this for seven years, using all the authority he has on the Board of Public Works. So is Governor Hogan since since the comptroller brought him into it in September 2015. How how did we get here? Who are these people who are blocking this from happening? How are people looking the other way when we are authorizing millions for projects that were supposed to be completed? Why why is it okay? The, The status quo is not acceptable. I, I agree. We're to the point where 44,000 students are missing class. 44,000 students. Brian, at the public works meeting, I'm sure that you've set through your fair share of those, no? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, quite a few of them over the last 15 years. What's the politics? I, and and I, I said I wouldn't talk about this, but I'm, I'm, I'm kind of now interested. What is this – you know, the Board of Public Works is something to – it's, it's spectacular for people outside of, you know, I, I try to compare it to, well, I really can't really compare it. But if you, if you take, for instance, the state of New Hampshire, they have a very weak governorship and they have what they call the executive council up in New Hampshire. It's basically equivalent to the governorship. And it's like these five people that anything the governor passes or the legislator, it has to go through this executive council is the. And there's some politics at play on the Board of Public Works, but for most, the most part, Nancy Kopp, Peter Francho, and Larry Hogan, which is the state comptroller, the, the governor of Maryland, and the state treasurer, they pretty much all get along. 
right? I mean, occasionally, Brian, they have some squabbles. Is that accurate? Yeah, look, I mean, so for the most part, and, and we actually have some numbers on this now, courtesy of, uh, of Delegate Talmadge Branch of Baltimore City, who, who asked for a report uh, specifically looking for the number of times that uh, the two Democrats, Peter Francho and Nancy Kopp, actually broke ranks with the governor. So we actually have some numbers on this over the, over the last three years. And statistically speaking, you know, uh, over you know, uh, 6,000 votes over the last three years. Really, I mean, the, the most that anybody has broken with the governor is Peter Franchot, I think, 28 times. And, and, and look, you know, I'm from Middle River, and I'm a journalist, so that means I'm doubly challenged with math. But even <laughs> I can tell you that, you know, 20, you know 28 votes in, in, out of 6,000 is not a statistically significant number. Um, you know, they, they, they argue a little bit back and forth. Most of the, you know, most of the, the disagreements really come during the opening statements. Um, for the most part, I mean, even the treasurer, I mean, she's only really voted against the governor three times and taken three abstentions um, over that same three-year period. Um, so, so the, I mean, there, as, as everyone likes to point out, there's no uh, Republican and Democratic procurement issues here. Um, yeah. and, and it really is, a, to, to go back to an earlier point that you made, it, it is a fairly unique body within the country. I think the only thing that even sort of comes close to this is a, uh, a body that they have in Ohio, but it's, it's not a direct comparison. Um, the, the Board of Public Works is a very unique entity um, in, in all of the United States. Yeah, I haven't seen it, something comparable, and I'll have to check out the, the system that they have in there, place in Ohio, and Brian. Brian. Really isn't the, uh, there, there really isn't. The, uh, the Not Commission back in 2016, as it was doing its, its work looking at um, how to uh, change the way we do school construction, um, one of the things that they did was uh, they took a look at the Board of Public Works, and some would argue that there was, there was a lot of politics involved in that because it was being driven by the legislature because of, of their issues with what's going on. Um, and the Board of Public Works. And, and really what they found was is that there's, there's almost nothing comparable to it at all. Yeah. I want to go into a podcast. I want to go quickly into a, a, pod, a podcast parenthetical. And inside of the parentheses, there's a side issue that I want to quickly discuss incidentally. And this is the issue of do, are the Democrats, the state legislature, I mean, it's a supermajority Valerie, Lynn, and Brian. And Brian, from your reporting, are Democrats in the state legislature, the speaker, the, uh, in, in the state senate, are they unhappy with Nancy Cop? You know, it, it certainly appears to, that some Democrats are unhappy with Nancy Cop. Uh, this goes back probably about two and a half years or so. Um, the, the, the president of the Senate has made comments uh, publicly at, at, on a number of occasions. And now we have Delegate Branch, who's specifically asking for this report. And, and when I interviewed him about it, you know, he was quite candid in saying that he was specifically looking for how Nancy Cop voted on the board, um, was specifically interested in seeing whether or not she voted the, uh, the voted, you know, in, in a way that sort of represented him. And he was quite candid in saying that, you know, he didn't feel like she was representing um, the Democratic Party on the board. Um, the interesting thing is, is that when I asked him about, you know, what sort of specific issues he was concerned about, you know, he, he said, you know, and this is a direct quote, he said, nothing comes to mind. But, you know, to me, most people, when I interview them, I mean, if I interviewed Len, or, you know, on, you know, on his criticisms of someone in particular and said, well, gosh, what's your problem? 
he would probably be able to tick off, you know, a, a number of items that have bothered him over the years about whoever it is that that is of concern to him. And for a delegate to run that report and make some very pointed comments about the treasurer, but then not be able to, you know, to run off a list of things that he was concerned about suggests to me that this is that this is more personal and that there is. Uh, that perhaps this is message sending, that they're looking to send a message to, to Nancy that either she needs to start speaking up more or that perhaps maybe even that her time is done. Hmm. They would never do that Brian, to Louis Goldstein. Brian, um, Brian if I can, maybe, Brian, if I can yeah. th- 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 this issue really does cut back to the, the air conditioning issue because this has been a, this has been a central point of controversy uh, on the Board of Public Works for the past, you know, for the past four years. Yeah, please and jump in, Lynn. I want, I want to go back to I want to go back to the fall of 2015. Governor Hogan, Governor Hogan directs his his administration to come up with a price tag. What's it going to cost to put air conditioning units in every classroom that currently doesn't have one? Less and the and the total dollar amount is less than ten thousand dollars per classroom, less than fifteen million dollars overall for the two jurisdictions. So what the administra- so what we, what we agreed to do as a board of public works, the governor, the treasurer, the comptroller, was uh, come up with a body of regulations that would that would clarify and uh, provide uh, provide guidance on what types of units would be eligible, how they'd be installed, what their lifespan would be. So in other words, there would be no guesswork and there would be a standardized approach to putting these in because we want to make sure that we're spending taxpayer money as effectively as possible. And these, and Valerie was, Valerie was at every one of these meetings. Uh, the day we were to vote on the regulations that would memorialize uh, the right of, of, of local school systems to use state funds for portable air conditioning units, a gentleman named Tim Maloney, uh, who was who sits on the who's, who sat on the interagency committee of public school construction? He was Mike Miller's designated appointee. He tab- you know, he asked for and is granted a uh, deferral of the motion. So that's a delay right there. And in the minutes, he said we think that the comptroller should come and brief Mike Miller in the Senate on the need for these air conditioning systems. Now give me a break. You have teachers who are fainting. You have kids who are coming home. With their with their clothes soaked in sweat, yeah. kids kids getting sick and vomiting, and they're saying that Mike, that Peter Franchier should go hat in hand into the Senate lounge and ask Mike Miller and his leadership team for permission to put air conditioning units in these schools. Your word was was insulting, Ryan. It was insulting. Fast forward to that following legislative session in 2016. Uh, Valerie, again, correct me if I'm missing anything. But the the House Appropriations Committee, the Senate Budget and Tax Committee, they go into what's called an end of session conference committee, where they're basically hammering out the final details of of the budget, and they put language into the budget that expressly prohibited state funds from being used on portable air conditioning units. So at this point, not only are they not supporting the cause, they're actively getting in the way, throwing up slowing up legal and administrative procedural roadblocks one after the other to prevent school systems from putting air conditioning units into these classrooms. You might be asking yourself, why are they doing it? 
It was very clear at the time, and Brian did yeoman's reporting on it then as he does now. It was a political game. It was it was a way it was a way to it was a way to slap Peter Franco on the wrist and show a Republican governor who's boss. And well, as and Peter said, it's board meeting. It, you know, it's all fun and games until you know forty four thousand kids get sent home because they don't have air conditioning. And and in all fairness, I mean it. It the air air conditioning has driven this um, to some degree, but there is also because of you know the the issues. The issues with Nancy Kopp in particular run deeper than that. It, it really runs to sort of this continuation of, of what has been going on with the comptroller and the governor, where they have where they have very publicly sided together on a number of issues, especially on school construction issues, um, especially with their public chiding of David Lever, who was the former executive director of the uh, interagency commission on, on uh, school construction. Um, you know, and they've, they've done a number of these things to a number of things to limit the role of the board of public works, including, I believe it was in uh, 2017, you know, the, the immaculate amendment where they, 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 you know, dropped an amendment into the conference committee budget that essentially ended the, uh, you know, the, the, the begathon, um, and, and tried to eliminate the role of the uh, the county of the uh, board of public works, and you know, and, and that's that's one of those things where the amendment had to come from someone, but nobody fesses up to it. It is literally as if Jesus miracled that amendment into the conference committee budget, and and you know, and again, the, you know, the governor and the comptroller and runned it around it instead of having a in, instead of having the traditional begathon that they had a meeting in the fall. Um, in, in advance of the budget, issue, you know, in, in advance of putting together the capital budget and ask the school systems to come down um, as they were making decisions and said, you know, this is a begathon, this is a different animal. Um, you know, and it really sort of comes down to uh, Democrats repeatedly being bothered by the fact that, that Francho and the governor speak out on these issues and they are concerned that Nancy Cop doesn't fully represent their voice uh, since they appoint her. And, and I think that all comes back to this, uh, comes back to this report that they had run uh, last month. Valerie, the, uh, yeah. the governor has blasted Baltimore, the, the Baltimore County um, superintendent. And I, I, I believe her name is Sonia. Is it Santa Lisa's? If I'm, if I'm mispronouncing it. Uh, excuse, yeah. I'm sorry, the Baltimore City. And in a September 5th uh, Baltimore Sun article written by Mike Dresser, uh, and uh, the the issue here is is that the governor rebuked Baltimore S- School CEO and accused her of failing to live up to her commitments on the timetable to provide the air conditioning to the seven schools where the students were dismissed early this week. And so yeah. the, the article goes through the issue a bit and talks a little bit about the politics. But everybody seems to be pointing fingers back at one another in this big circle. So, mm-hmm. I mean, is it true? Did they fail to live up to the contracts? Did they fail to live up to their, their commitments and um, – to the timetable and is the is the governor's criticism is it focused in the right direction i i believe so so what happens so at the at the last 
Bagason. It was held in January. So January 2017, Dr. Santelisi's did to use contingency funding, which is a whole other animal, um, to fund air conditioning unit projects at seven schools. And the comptroller asked her, you know, well, what's the timetable? Will you be able to have these projects installed if we approve this today? So you're allowed to put this project out to bid immediately, as soon as you get it designed. Right. Will these be providing cool? Will cool air be flowing in these classrooms when the students return in September? And she said, yes, that's the timetable. So then, when they came back in October for what was dubbed the request to sign, um, the comptroller asked very specifically, you know, were those seven projects completed and the COO um, Keith Scroggins who since retired confirmed said yes seven projects were completed yeah so in other we words, were Valerie, the pretty air, surprised words, the air conditioning was in the classrooms at that point according to Mr. Scroggins yes that's what we yeah. were told yeah I mean in the article it said um uh, Dresser wrote that still the Republican governor pointed to statements by the city's school system's recently re- retired uh-huh. chief operating officer, Keith Scrogans, to the board in October 2017 that the work at the seven schools had been completed. And Hogan, yeah. Hogan's, um, Governor Hogan's spokeswoman, Amelia Chase, said it's hard to keep up with the changing stories. And um, uh-huh. And I want to bring this up, and I know that Brian says you have to head out soon, but just one more moment. I wanted to, to read a tweet sure. written by Peter Francho on September 5th, 2018 at 7.31 p.m., and the controller wrote, For nearly a decade, I've been speaking out about the inhumane conditions that our kids and teachers are, first, are forced to learn and work in. My punishment for speaking out? The legislature stripped me of oversight duties of how your systems spend your hard-earned state dollars. Wow. What a tweet. Yeah. I mean, that if that's not just putting it all out there, I don't know what is. What do you make of that tweet, Brian? Well, I mean, look, that, that, that's Peter Francho being Peter Francho. <laughs> um, he has certainly not been afraid of um, in the last – you know, since being elected, of speaking his mind on a variety of issues, um, and and while he now has branded this uh, this sort of rebellion as disrupting the machine, um, he's been he's been talking like this um, almost since he got into office, um, speaking out on issues you know when he has felt the need to, even if they go against Democrats in the you know Democrats in the legislature. And there have been, uh, as as Len well knows, because his his pin magically disappeared one year in a uh, in, in a budget battle. Um, you know, there have been any number of attempts to you know to, to try and force Peter to, to to be silent or to to curb him in some way. And he made it he's made it clear in the past, and he made it clear on Wednesday that he's going to continue to speak out on these things. And I have no reason to believe that he's going to uh, he, he's going to break that word. Brian Sears of the Brian. Daily Record. I pr- I appreciate. Thank you. I know it was last minute, and I I you know I was I was probably out of breath asking you to come on, but this me I mean it means a lot to me. 
your reporting has been just barn on on this issue and we'll continue to follow it and they can always follow you on Facebook and Twitter. And you are some of the, I, I'm telling you, Facebook should do a live feed, a how to session with you on how to live stream uh, because you always seem to catch the most opportune moments of mm-hmm. state government. So without you, I would be lost about what is happening statewide. So Brian Sears of The Daily Record, thanks for coming on tonight. I really appreciate it. Thanks. That's, that's very kind, and I'll make sure I get that check in the mail, all right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, <laughs> thanks, Brian. Hey, Len, um, I want to mo- go back to you. There's so much – even though that we said we wouldn't talk politics, it, it just seems like this is entirely political. Here's the bottom line question. When in the hell are we going to get air conditioning in these schools? How, how, how soon – is this going to happen? Well, I, I think there are a couple issues to unpack there in what Brian said. And I think that since we're talking politically for a moment, let me ask you this. Did you ever think you'd live to see the day when safe and healthy classrooms became anathema to the Democratic leadership in Annapolis? That's, when did that no. become an when did that become an anti-democratic talking point? Uh, to the extent that that the uh, the legislative poobahs in the back rooms of Annapolis would retaliate against Peter Francia for speaking out on behalf of portable air conditioning units by um, by stripping him of his constitutional authority to oversee the public school construction program, inserting subversive budget bill language in the closing moments of a legislative session to prohibit children from getting box units. This is supposed to be the this is supposed to be the education party, right? That's what we were all taught growing up. The Democrats fight for the kids. Democrats fight for the teachers. They're the ones whose names are always on the Apple ballot. And here, here are members of of my party. I say mine because I don't know what your party affiliation is, Ryan. I don't even know what Valerie's is. But my party, which has historically been the education party, they have been fighting tooth and nail against the installation of of a very cost-effective, dependable amenity that could that could preserve the health and well-being of tens of thousands of children. Where did we go so wrong? And, and, and come November, if, the, if this gubernatorial election doesn't go in the Democrats' way, and if, the, if we end up losing a couple seats in the legislature, I guarantee you after the election we're going to be sitting in the basement of some union hall uh, scratching our heads, if not some other extremities on our body, wondering, my God, how in this age of Donald Trump did we let another election get away? Well, well let's let's think back. Let's think back to this issue for a moment. Now, as far as when we're going to get air conditioning, I will say the silver lining is that inexorably, in spite of all these roadblocks, we have been making slow progress. And Valerie has the numbers. I'm going to turn it over to her to sh- just to tell us how many have already gone in since Peter picked up this battle some seven years ago. The answer is. You know, we've always said it's going to—it's either going to come the easy way or the hard way. Um, no matter what, the, no matter how the, uh, the two school systems decide to play it, we're going to be around until the last child uh, sitting out there has cool air in their classroom. We'll be there as long as it takes. Good. Yeah, Valerie, can you break down the numbers? Absolutely. Sure. So, 
So back in 2011, Baltimore County had 65, in fall of 2011, Baltimore County had 65 schools without air conditioning, and today they have 10. So they currently have eight. They have plans to install air conditioning in eight, and that's mostly through um, very old schools that need to be replaced um, to uh, replacements that are going on. I'm sorry, renovations that are going on right now. Um, there's also two high schools that have, they're, they're not sure what they're going to do. If they're going to replace or renovate, it kind of depends on the next, who the next county executive is and how they're going to fund it. Um, there's also two schools they're still completely ignoring and don't even have plans. One is a, an early childhood center with pre-K and kindergarten students, and they, they just ignore it. They have no plans to put air conditioning in. So we think something like that is a perfect contender for getting box units to get them through the next couple of years until they can figure it out. Baltimore city has uh, the numbers that are constantly in flux. They have 67 without air conditioning. And then they had another seven where the air conditioning didn't work last week. Oh, so they still have a long way to go. Go ahead. The point that we make is, you know, when when the uh, when the political insiders in Baltimore County will say, "Well, my goodness, back in 2010 we had 67 schools without air conditioning, and today we only have, you know, less than 10." Think think about how you'd feel as a parent, Brian. We're all, all three of us on this uh, podcast this evening are parents of, of public school kids. How do you think we would feel as parents and as, and as providers? If our children were going to school in classrooms uh, and, and in learning conditions that we wouldn't even subject our animals to in the middle of summer, much less much less children, while other kids that we would see, you know, out there on the soccer field or the little league field or in church, got to go to school and learn in safe and comfortable learning conditions. Well, I can Question tell you. Have is, how do you explain that to your kids, Ryan? I mean, how, how do you say that somehow we screwed up by moving into this school district instead of that school district? It, that's and, a great and point. Kids, and, you know, so, I mean, and it just, it just aggravates the hell out of us when, when, these, when these policymakers sit in their, uh, in their ivory towers in Towson. If, if you've ever been in the Baltimore County uh, Public School Headquarters, I mean, it's so cold in there. You can literally hang meat in the uh, in the in the broom closet. Uh, and they talk about and they talk about the number of schools that are still outstanding in these very clinical and generic terms. Sometimes, if you're the kids, you still have to go to those schools. And if you're the parents, you still have to put your kid on the bus or send them through the drop-off line every morning and know they're going to have to go in and for six or seven hours have to endure learning conditions that no one should be subjected to in 2018. Well, thank um, you. I'll tell you, Lynn, if it happened here in Montgomery County where we live, I can tell you people would be marching, including myself, my wife, our neighbors, our friends. I mean, we have been to Board of Education meetings, Lynn, where we were promised school construction dollars, where we were promised that our school system would be upgraded, and the last upgrade was 35 years ago – in a building that is outdated, that desperately needs renovations, that desperately needs new insulation, and in the, in the wintertime, it's freezing cold. Parents 
have been up in arms about these issues, and they show up. And I can only imagine that, you know, you think about this, and you break it down to the granular level. The parents that send their kids off to school, they entrust the school system to keep their, their children safe and healthy with the understanding that it's community. We're all a community here. And Valerie, as a former teacher, we all understand this, that when, when the children walk into a classroom, you, you immediately not only feel a sense of pride, but you know, there's a, there, my, my teachers always kind of felt like they were our protectors. They were our guiding light. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I'll use a word from possibly the vice president's office, the, the lodestar. So um, I, I have to t- What's that? What's that, Lid? That's, that's a nice poll. Yeah. Well, so parents, we don't. A lot of parents don't have time to go and rail against the school system, or yeah. you know, to call up their. I mean, maybe they could call up their their state delegate or state senator, but we don't. We know that we always don't get in the door to see the school chiefs. I mean, it was mm-hmm. hell trying to get in to see Jack Smith at one point. I mean, these guys are busy and they. Manage a, I remember my wife and I, after the, the issue at Gaithersburg High School, where there was a, um, an alleged rape, and it, that's a whole other issue, but it, it turned out mm-hmm. that it, it wasn't. I, I had George Leventhal on the show to talk about that. Um, I, I believe it was two years ago. And when we got in to see, we didn't even get to see our superintendent, but we immediately demanded a meeting with somebody from the school system. Now, they got us in. And we pressed and pressed and pressed, and we got act, we got answers, and we got action, and that is the best mm-hmm. that we can hope for. But our schedules were flexible enough that would allow us to dip down. Kind of work in Rockville, and the the, mm-hmm. the school um, the the the, the um, oh where the superintendent is located is yeah the the headquarters is located mm-hmm. in Rockville. Thankfully, my wife works in Bethesda, and I work in Rockville. We were both about fifteen minutes away. We could get up the road and go do this, but parents don't have that option. And that's what I'm trying to make right. a point. They don't always have the option to go over and complain and make the point that our kids deserve better. And then all the while, we're arguing about politics. That's infuriating. Right. I see this issue right. unfold, and I want to bring this full circle. There was a thread that took place on Lynn Foxwell's Facebook status the other day. And now I want to. I want to be clear and fair. I invited State Senator Bill Ferguson on the show. Bill Ferguson represents the forty the forty sixth Senate district here in Maryland. Um, you know, the district is composed of parts of Baltimore City. I invited Senator Ferguson on to join us, as he was uh, a a principal in that discussion. However, he could not mm-hmm. join us because he has a family obligation. I just want to be fair and say I wanted the state senator to come on and talk about this issue because I believe that we could have had a, a quality conversation. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't mean to say that he's not going to come on in the future because I'm going to keep asking him, and we're going to have this discussion, whether I have to do it over the phone, in person, or if I have to do it in my car and hold a tape recorder to the, um, to the phone. But Lynn and Valerie, we saw this, this, this fervent discussion take place. And there was a lot of exchange of opinions. And Lynn, you know, you pointed out your grievances, and Bill Ferguson, he hit back. But my question that I would have asked Bill Ferguson is, who are you in the tank for, man? 
is it the kids or are you protecting the Annapolis establishment? And because I kept yeah. reading this and I, I wanted to comment and, you know, I, but I, I held off and I, I wanted to get the full picture. And I know Bill Ferguson is a good man and I think he means well and he wants to do a good job for his constituents. And look, he, he look, and, and I remember in 2010, he, he in ch- challenged six term incumbent, George Della, and that was a heck of a race and he won. So I, I just, I know that, I know that Bill Ferguson wants to do a good job, but what I was seeing was is there's no accountability. Lynn, Valerie, what, right. what say you? Well, here's what I find most interesting about Senator Ferguson. Like me, he's a former teacher. Like me, he understands what it's like to have to subject the, the, the students you are responsible for. You're responsible for their health, welfare, emotional needs, physical needs while they're in your classroom. You take a vow yep. that if something that they're subjected to any type of abuse that you're going to report it. He knows exactly what it's like. He knows exactly how bad those classrooms are. When I was doing research in December, 2015, I found an article and I I was so impressed with him. It was from August, 2015. He went and toured a school. It was new era Academy. It was a magnet program. He went and toured. It was hot. There were, He said they could have easily installed air conditioning units. They had a few that weren't working. They had all these issues in the school. He demanded that Baltimore City public schools come down and install air air conditioning units before those students started school. So what happened? A week later, they brought new units. They installed them. Kids started class. They had air conditioning. So I I was like, "He's, he's a hero. This is what needs to happen in every city school in the rest of the county schools without it. Yeah, I remember that. So, are, are you referring to the <laughs> Valor, are you referring to the Baltimore Sun article um that said Ferguson criticizes conditions of school building in Cherry Hill and where he yeah. is quoted, it just makes me sad. It doesn't look like the very like a very inviting place, said Ferguson a former city teacher. There's still time but I'm hoping to raise the level of urgency. As a 15-year-old, I wouldn't be thrilled. Well, where's the sense of urgency, Lynn? Right. What happened yeah. between then and now? What happened between that and at the January 2016 Board of Public Works meeting in which the Board of Public Works memorialized the already legal right to use public school construction funding towards these units, which do last more than 15 years if needed, you know, why was he there arguing against it? How do you change, how do you see these results? How do you walk into a building that's 100 degrees in the beginning of August and say, this is not okay for my kids. This is not acceptable. I want air conditioning units installed. He went, there's a follow-up article. He went back and visited and made sure they installed those units. Why so, she yeah, I mean, now? I mean, that's exactly what the comptroller and the governor want done. What do you, yeah, what do you I, say I, about I that? I don't know what, yeah, I, listen, I'm going to let Bill come on, uh, come on the show at some point. And I think he should. It's a, this is, this is an amazing platform uh, through which he can communicate not only with the folks in his own district, but uh, people around the state who are interested in um, a positive outcome to this crisis. 
I'm not going to speculate on what his motives are. I do think he's a good man. Uh, we've had, Lord knows, we've had our disagreements, but I like him. He's been helpful on a number of issues in the comptroller's office. But boy, I just think he's off the. I, I just think he's 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 wrong on this one. And I want to go back to an earlier point you were making, Ryan, because it's so we can't lose sight of this. You said that th- there are some parents who are better equipped than others to go and lobby their school superintendents knock on the front door of their boards of education, yeah. attend those school board meetings. And, and that's true. And it's a fundamental fact of life that uh, there's a direct relationship between socioeconomic status and political access and political clout, right? I mean, that's, that's a dog bites man story. And if you look, if you look on the Baltimore County map in particular um, of which, of where the, of, of where, which schools do have air conditioning, and which ones are still hanging out there, the affluent communities are being taken care of. They were taken yeah. care of years ago. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, pla- it's places, it's places uh, over on the east side, down Lansdowne, uh, where uh, you have such a high concentration of, of uh, um, low and moderate income, working class, at-risk kids who are most vulnerable who are going to school and learning conditions that none of us would ever find acceptable. Lansdowne High School is, is structurally deficient to the point where it is literally, and I'm not making this up, uh, it, it, it is literally sinking into the ground. Uh, no air conditioning. The water's brown. Um, the learning conditions are deplorable. You go up to Delaney and Timonium, uh, you have um, you have a, a gymnasium that floods constantly, um, ply, plywood over the windows, and kids are supposed to learn and compete and perform on standardized tests the same way that children in, in uh, safe, comfortable, modern, uh, tech-savvy schools elsewhere in Baltimore County do, and it's just fundamentally unfair. And it, we have a fundamental principle, Ryan, in this country that every child has equal access to learning opportunities amen these are this is a constitutional right and uh we see this as a as a as a as a loss of violated civil right which is why in 2016 the comptroller joined forces with the head of the maryland naacp wrote a letter to the just the the, uh, justice department the office of civil rights uh, asking for an investigation uh, on that very basis that we that this is a um, that this is a neglected civil right and we never heard back. It was an election and things. The administration changed hands and I don't think Jeff Sessions is going to take it up now. Um, but Ryan, this this isn't who Mar- this isn't what Maryland is. This isn't who we are. We're supposed to be wow. better than this. And um, you ask when it's going to happen. It's got to happen. It's got to happen soon. We're we're missing. We're we're we are leaving a generation of children behind, and we are doing irreparable damage to our state's reputation uh, as a as a fundamentally fair place to live and work. You know, I I I saw the the controller's tweet. I heard him on C four, and I know that you know for all the years that I've been following Peter's career. Here's a man who means what he says. This is not about politics with Peter. You know, when he was a former state delegate in District 20, Peter's always put K-12 
kids first. I know that. I've, I've followed his career. I've talked to his colleagues. And people may disagree with Peter, but don't ever question the man's motives. I mean, Lynn, you know him much better than I do. You're around him. The man is angry, and he should be, because it's just another, it seems like, more politics, more posturing, more pointing fingers. And Peter is up here saying, here are the facts, here's what we've done. But he's up against, look, people of his own party, man, are just railroading him all the time. And I just got to ask. Is this really about kids? You know, the Democrat. I hear the Democrats and the Republicans talk about, well, we got to do what's best for public school kids. We got to do what's best. We got to do what's best. But they're not doing what's best. I mean, the Speaker and the Senate President. I mean, look. I just want to say that the Senate President during and and this is not against Mike Miller. It's and I don't know Mike that well. I've met him a few times, but I got to say that here's a guy who went out and tried to recruit other candidates, including a gubernatorial candidate who ran in this last gubernatorial Democratic cycle, to run against Peter because he doesn't play ball with the Annapolis establishment. I, and I just have to think, if they put so much more energy in finding air conditioners for our students' classrooms, maybe we would get this done. Maybe we would get this done and we would avoid the politics you know, nothing against Ben Jealous. I, I hear what, you know, I understand that he's running his campaign and he's not on here to defend himself and to have this conversation. Neither is Speaker Bush or Mike Miller. But I got to tell you, you know, when I see him out in front of a school saying, pointing fingers at Larry Hogan to make a political statement, I just got to think, man, that is the wrong place in time to be doing that. It, it really well, is. He's wrong, a, well, he's, well he's, he's wrong. You know, I got to say, Ben's wrong on the issue. And uh, I, I don't think he's really up to speed, and I, I think Peter's right. He's been fed a line of bull by the Annapolis insiders. Um, no. But to his to, to his credit, at least, at least he's showing some sort of even if it's a, even if it's in the heat of an election year, no pun intended. At least he's showing some interest in the issue. I haven't seen any sense of urgency, sincere concern, or honest interest. From the uh, from the from the Annapolis bosses on this issue since Peter started taking it up nearly a decade ago, from the start they used it as a political football and a hammer with which to beat Peter Francis over the head and try to force him into submission. Peter, well, that's what they do all the time. Things. What you know, Peter said. He, uh, Peter has said many times, um, the kids in Baltimore City and Baltimore County are being bullied by Annapolis. Mm-hmm. There's oh. school bullying going on. It's the uh, it's the political bosses in Annapolis using their health, safety, and welfare as a as a as a means of political leverage, and that is wow. that is a, that is a moral that is a moral abomination. Peter said on C4 the other day that there's been a lot that's been wasted, and I agree with him. And it's the truth. There has been a lot of taxpayer dollars. That have gone to waste. Our money, your money, Valerie, your money out of your paycheck, Len, money out of your your paycheck, out of my paycheck. That's being mishandled, being just absolutely wasted. And I get upset about this because I mean, I just I bring it back to the kids. I think about and, and you know I, I I try to see and picture their faces. They're going into school first, second, third day. They're excited. They're, they're excited to see their friends. They get new classes. The teacher's trying to explain the syllabus. This kid, look, I was in school. 
I wouldn't be paying attention. I had a hard enough time paying attention, you know, with everything else going on. So, I, you know, and as a teacher, you're struggling because you're, you're truly trying to get the students who are in a new grade acclimated to your process, to the procedures, to what you intend to study. It's just an all-around shameful situation that has been, you know, boogered up with politics. And I, I really hope, I really hope for the sake of public schools in Maryland that we can fix this. And I'm confident. Peter Franchot is a smart guy. Larry Hogan's a smart guy. I don't know Nancy Kopp that well, but I, I know that she is capable. And the Board of Public Works, people generally get into politics to do the right thing. But, man, you know, Lynn – People make they, they make jokes about when I say the Annapolis swamp, they make jokes and they say, oh, well, you know, come on, Ryan, you know, you you've come from the other side and, you know, you're an independent. And you asked earlier, Lynn, what political I'm an independent. And they say, well, you know, you, Ryan, you take on both sides. But it's about that. I mean, this is a basic issue. Like The kids don't have air conditioning. You got are fighting in these public works meeting. You're pointing fingers. They're trying to railroad Peter Franco because he doesn't always fall in line. There's so many exterior issues. And what I would love to do is just do this podcast live at a damn board of public works meeting and then interview every single one of those politicians that show up in, in the hallway and say, all right, tell me the truth. What's really going on? Wouldn't that be something? Lynn? Hey, Ryan, I got an idea for you. Why don't we why don't we challenge every why don't we challenge every politician who who has who has shucked and jived and equivocated on this issue to turn off their own damn air conditioners and their own damn offices for a day uh, when the Wouldn't mercury happen. hits nine degrees, and then uh, and then at the end of that day we'll go in and we'll do a podcast right from that sweltering office building. We'll go live from a minor detail at five o'clock, and we'll see how comfortable it is on all of us. I mean. We were hot down in Talls, and then we went over and cooled off at in Cambridge at one of the best places I've ever had the uh, the opportunity to have uh, some dinner and, a, and do a podcast at right there on the water. It was beautiful. But Valerie and Lynn, this is an issue that we all have reason to be ticked off about, not only because of the politics, not only because kids are suffering in schools, but there's an easy fix this should not have any partisan labels. This is so simple, you know, and, and it's, and we're wasting taxpayer dollars and politicians are fighting about this stuff. But I got to say, Peter Francho hats off to him, hats off to his team. And I got to give the governor credit too. I mean, look, this is not a governor that's just woefully and inadequately not assigning people to this. I mean, th- people's jobs are on the line. This is what it's all about. And, these are basic state services that we expect state government to provide. And I want to have, I want to, I want to continue the discussion uh, at a later time and get more and more people to come on and talk about this issue and just have an honest conversation. Cause I'm not going to put up with any of this political nonsense and this BS. And I, I, I'm not trying to beat up on Mike Miller tonight either, or, or Mike Bush. They are welcome to come on here. And, and as People know who listen to this show and who listen to this podcast will tell you I, I do my absolute level best to be fair. I'm always fair, and I'm not going to give people – and I always give people the benefit of the doubt. And this, this, this conversation needed to happen the way it had to happen this evening. And, Lynn, I want to give you credit because you've been fearless in putting, 
pointing this out on Facebook, on social media, here tonight. Valerie, you too, and I'm very excited that uh, you're going to be joining Governor Hogan's team. Um, I I don't know you that well, but I can. But Lynn speaks very highly of you, and I'm sure that we'll have the opportunity to meet here soon. Because look, I'm not going away. Lynn, you're surely not going away. Valerie, you're not going to go away. And we have a job to do. And it's from the media side of it. I'm going to report on this, and I'm going to keep this issue fresh because it needs to be. Because it's about kids. And if I sound indignant, I am, because this shouldn't be happening. It's an embarrassment, as we all have said. So, all right, Lynn, and then Valerie, Brian, or, Brian, what, give me your final you. thoughts. Brian, you are the, this, is why, this is why you and a minor detail are the future of journalism. You're out here taking on the issues that matter to real people. You're speaking for folks who don't have a voice of their own. You're agitating when you have to. And through all this, you're changing the outcome. And we need you in the fight. Thank God you're here. Um, it's an honor to be on the program, and it's an even bigger honor to call you a friend. Thank you, pal. Wow. Amen to that, and I appreciate that, Lynn. Valerie, what are, you, what are your final thoughts? I, I agree. It needs, it needs to be there. The uh, Annapolis establishment seems to think people are going to forget about this as soon as it cools off a little bit, as soon as it's not 90 degrees, <laughs> that everybody's just going to forget it and just leave the county administration and the city administration alone about it. And they can continue to, to dismiss. They know the comptroller is going to bring it up. They know, they know he's not going to stop. We know it's going to be hot again in May and June. The, the problem needs to be solved. Yeah, I mean, and both of you have such a, an important role in state government. And I want to say this, as a regular old taxpaying constituent, middle-class guy here, um, soon-to-be Gaithersburg resident, I have to tell you this. Keep pushing. We see what's happening. We know it, and we're following it. Not just me. I mean, and my job is to follow this stuff and to highlight it. And like you said, Lynn, if I have to agitate, and I will. That's what I'm going to do. But people are paying attention. You are, you are behind the scenes often, and not a lot, of t- a lot of times you don't get the credit, but you deserve it. Keep working, keep pushing, and keep bringing these issues to light because it matters. It matters because it's all about how can we do a better job for our kids, for all Marylanders, and for taxpayers. And with that, I appreciate you, your time and your, your energy and your passion and your enthusiasm for spending an hour talking about some heavy material that uh, you know is going to wind down the weekend. So, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna push this podcast out because I think. I've been doing this for almost four years now, and I don't think – and I've, I've done some important podcasts, and I've had a lot of big high-level discussions, but no more important than this education discussion. And this is one of my favorite because we really got to the heart of an issue that I'm really passionate about. So we got to keep this conversation, keep it rolling. So Valerie and Lynn, it's a pleasure to having you both on tonight, and uh, we'll catch up here soon. Pleasure. Right. Thank, Thank you. you. All right. Take care. Have a great weekend. All right, folks. We talked about the heat crisis in Baltimore County, Baltimore City. And look, you heard it all tonight. So we're going to keep the conversation rolling. I'm going to try to get State Senator Bill Ferguson, and I know he's not ducking. I don't want anybody to think that. He had another issue to deal with tonight. He had a family obligation. 
But, man, wouldn't it be something if we could get Maryland Speaker, the Senate President, and look, these guys are old school politicians. I'm sure we could try. I'm going to try it. I'll reach out to them and see if they might be willing to come on. Look, there's nothing more important than making sure kids are safe, happy, healthy, and in an environment conducive to the best education possible. These kids are the future of our world. They deserve it. They absolutely deserve it. There is no doubt that we as an adult, as adults, can't solve this problem, and it can't be driven into this political speak where they point fingers and they blame, oh, you know, Larry Hogan didn't do this or so-and-so. That just can't happen. That's not what I want to hear. So I appreciate you all listening. We'll be back next week. Find me on the web at a aminordetail.com. I have I've taken just a brief sabbatical on writing, but I have a lot of important stories to cover in the upcoming week. So with that, have a great week, everybody, and thank you, as always, for listening.